0: to Love Curvy Yoga, the podcast that's all about the intersection between yoga and body acceptance. Today, my guest is the wonderful Jennifer Loudon. I first connected with Jen online. I was trying to think back, but I think I found you through your blog first, Jen, and was immediately taken with her warmth and candor. I don't know that I had ever encountered anyone who was so clear and authentic about her own experience in a way that was truly of service to other people. I was and am very inspired by that. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Over the years, I've taken some of Jen's courses, coached with her, and even gone to her fabulous writing retreat in Taos. And now we are friends, which I'm so honored by. One of her great courses is called Teach Now, and in it, there's a module about lineage, which is, of course, something we talk about in yoga, so figuring out who your teachers are and whose shoulders you stand on, and I definitely consider you, Jin, and your revolutionary work to be part of my lineage. Jen was, oh. yeah, was one of the very first people to write about self-care with her international bestseller, The Woman's Comfort Book, so I am pinching myself that you are
1: here. Thank you. Welcome, Jen. Oh, don't pinch yourself. I don't think that's good for self-acceptance and body (laughs) compassion. (laughs) Just gently. Gentle punches, okay. (laughs) That's wonderful. I am so happy to be here. I'm so delighted that we get to be friends and um, so inspired by the uh, interview you did for Teach Now a couple of years ago during launch and what you have learned about teaching. So ditto, 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 ditto.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So I wanted to start off asking you what your relationship was like with your body when you were growing up as a young person.
1: Oh, it was fantastic. Um, I, ex- until adolescence, which mm. is <laughs> just really clear. Yeah. Um, I was always outside and on my bike. And um, I was just, I was super limber and just one of those kids that just wanted I mean, I probably was ADHD, you know, I was just into everything. And mm-hmm. I and I, I loved being physical and I loved nature. And, and I'm probably gilding the lily here, as we say. But I remember being very, not feeling judgmental about my body or separate from nature. Like, my body and nature were the same.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, until adolescence.
0: And then that started
1: to shift a little bit. Yeah, I was painfully thin which now is very chic but Mm. then was not in the uh 70s it was to be curvy and to have breasts and I was flat chested and everyone else started to develop and I didn't and and I had really terrible acne starting in adolescence and I would also get oh this is so painful but I would get cold sores on my mouth that from the sun I grew up in Florida and and I would get sunburns and I would peel on top of all of that and it was just I just was the ugly duckling. And um, I just remember, oh my gosh, just so much fantasy and so much desire to be attractive. And one time I got a permanent a hair permanent. Mm-hmm. Hair yeah, to me too. It was very big. <laughs> and uh, it took on one side of my hair. Oh no. Together. So I. Yeah, there's a lot of memories. I remember, I remember writing over and over in my journal, "cold sore go away, cold sore go away," and mm-hmm. uh, just fantasizing about having clear skin and and having boobs. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's the whole body project thing.
1: Yeah. Because I still do it a little bit. I just don't do it about boobs and acne anymore. Now I do it about wrinkles. And Does my underwear not fit because I've gained weight or because my butt has fallen even farther? Yeah, I think we all know <laughs> That's us, my question questions. today. Yeah. I have to all new underwear. None of this underwear is comfortable.
0: <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you about, kind of related to the body project thing, is about your concept of conditions of enoughness. Um, especially how that relates to bodies. So could you first talk a little bit about just what
1: conditions of enoughness are and kind of how you came around to that? Yeah, it grew out of my coaching training with Newfield Network. I didn't learn it it, there, but it was something that one of the influences on Newfield, a man named, um, oh God, his name just flew out of my head. It'll come back. Anyway, and and i actually learned it from other people i think in the graduate program which i never did mm-hmm. and in that program it's called conditions of satisfaction and it's used a lot in business to help people know when you've made a request how do you know the request has been met so i used it as conditions of satisfaction with clients for years and but then i married it over time with this this question of what is enough that so we all struggle with mm-hmm. in this time of great choice and abundance for those of us in the west and began to say how can we kind of sometimes very clearly sometimes maybe not so much name what is enough for us and the startling so so there's four pieces of it but the the underpinning idea is probably the most important thing at least for me which is if we don't name what is enough we will never know satisfaction mm, yeah and I have to learn that, oh, 17 times a day, right? <laughs> right. I mean, me I just, just had one that. of the yeah. best financial months of my business life in 22 years of being self-employed. But my second thought after woohoo was, well, that's not really that much compared to fill in the name of whoever I want to project mm-hmm. <laughs> earnings onto. So if it's, this, it's trying to give, me, give ourselves a tool so that we can keep coming back to, all right, I gotta name this, I gotta claim this, I gotta train myself to feel satisfied. And so so should I tell you what the four pieces are? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so the first one is name what is enough in simple facts. Excuse me. So we are great at assessments, opinions, stories, which is fabulous, it's how our brain works, but we're not so good at facts. So if I say what is enough and I have an assessment in there, then I'm immediately lost because enough becomes something that lives in an opinion, whether it's mine or someone else's. But if I name what is enough in a fact, I will write for a half an hour versus I will write fabulous stuff in a half an hour Mm. or half an hour. Um, I begin to ground myself in reality right there. And then the second one is to give it some kind of time or repetition container I will write for thirty minutes, or I will write five days out of seven, or I will write before I check email every work day. Again, something that gives you a way to contain it and track it. I will exercise. I will do my yoga practice for the length of one song every morning, and I will meditate for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, or not every, or you know, whatever you can. You can get an idea of that. And then the fourth one is to. Um, to consider what you can do in a period of time, or a day, or a month, or whatever it is, um, I can't think of the exact words I use, but given that you're an actual human being, not a superhero, (laughs) because most of us create conditions of, uh, or to-do lists, let's say, or project lists that are based on some ideal person who never gets a headache, Who doesn't have to wheel their dog around in a cart. (laughs) Right.
0: right That's me right now.
1: (laughs) Who doesn't have to go check on her mom who has had chronic diarrhea. That's me right now. Who doesn't get a call from her husband yesterday in the middle of nowhere in Texas say, don't panic, but I'm on my way to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. Right? So we think that those days are the normal I mean, we think those, the days that those things don't happen are normal, and they're not. The days that those things happen are normal. The days when nothing happens, when we feel great, when we have unlimited energy, when it's sunny outside, the, when we're inspired, those are very abnormal. So we have to stop planning days, projects, retreats, collaborations that are based on superhero idealized, no ever happen scenarios. <laughs> Yeah. And then and then the fourth one is that when we do whatever we said we'd do, when we do my thirty minutes of writing or our one our yoga practice for the length of one song, we say, I declare myself satisfied even if I don't feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. And that's the practice of training our awareness and our brain to know what is enough for us. <clears throat> and people usually skip that step. <laughs> But that's really what brings it all home,
0: huh?
1: It is I mean, I forget it too, oh, you know, I mean, I have been working with this stuff for years, and oh, I still forget it it's it's but it's a really great way to to limit a project or to approach your day or not limit a project, but you know delim delineate a project right, you
0: know? yeah, just not let it go on forever and ever.,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking about. How many times I am like, okay, now is when I'm really gonna get healthy, in quote marks, right? So,
1: yeah, (laughs) that's a great, it's a great example.
0: So, I'm like, okay, so should I go on the like all green juice thing? Should I become Ayurvedic? Should I become a vegan? You know, and I really want like a system to lay onto my life because it feels like that would be easier. Of course, experience has taught me over many times (laughs) that's not the case, but I still like to. Um, Pretend like it might be this time a little bit different. Um, So I'm wondering how people, or maybe you have an example from your life, can use what you just talked about with the conditions of enoughness, if they're on a similar like, how do I know what to decide for my own body and health, and I'd like it to be everything. (laughs)
1: Well, you, then, you know, this is, I feel like this is the secret of one of the secrets of being an adult. And it's not one of the ones that we particularly like to hear, but it's to embrace being human. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, I would bet, I can't know this, that we have never lived in a time when being human is so difficult. Mm-hmm. We're surrounded moment by moment with idealized images, and used to be just celebrities and People Magazine once a week. Now it's our friends on Facebook. I mean, even those of us who try to show up as honest as we can, I'm not going to picture a face on Facebook of me looking really ghastly.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm
1: going to curate those pictures so I look a little thinner or less wrinkled. Right. Um, so you can't see my underwear <laughs> bothering me. <laughs> So um, I think what stops us from making change, especially around health, which I've struggled with my adult life as well, is that we can't, we're not willing to choose Mm. and chunk it down and say, well, you know, yeah, I'm going to get up every morning and do a yoga practice for an hour. No, I'm going to get up most mornings and do yoga for the length of two songs. That's what I've been doing lately. Yeah. And sometimes I'll go longer. Sometimes it'll be three yes. or four songs, but it's going to be two songs. And that's, and I'm going to do that before I do anything else. And then I'm going to sit in meditation and maybe it'll be for five minutes. Maybe it'll chant. Maybe I'll do a guided meditation. Maybe I'll just sit in silence. That's it. That's, that's it. And, it and, and that our internal brain voice of never enough starts up and says, that's not enough. You're never going to get healthy doing that. Mm-hmm. And then we stop and we make the grandiose plan that fails two hours later or five <laughs> yeah. days later or even a month later because it's not sustainable. Right. Yeah. It's usually like a day for me. At the yeah. most.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. If I make it to the end of the day, meeting the whole plan, it's kind of a miracle.
1: Because <laughs> yeah. the plan gets really complicated, right? Yeah exactly yeah Yeah. I did that a little bit we went to Bali on our honeymoon and we got back last Monday and I did that a little bit when I got home I was like okay and you know because we it was just a wonderful healthy beautiful time and and I'm like okay I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that I'm gonna do that and I have done some of it Mm -hmm. but I really had to like reel it back in right away that fantasy just starts you know and it's quite compelling but it's not human yeah not it's not human
0: well, speaking of your trip to Bali, I know we had talked a little bit earlier that you had some um, pretty profound experiences on the yoga mat, and I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how yoga is a part of your life, whether related to the trip or just your everyday practice or
1: anything. Well, I first discovered yoga when I was about 12, and I had an, quite a bit older sister. She's seven years older than I am, and she had gone to college, and she had left her room empty and her books on her bookshelf and i started reading her books and one of them was be here now by ram das mm-hmm. and i was quite um I, I mean i imagine i have like a little tiny mini samadhi reading that book at that age i was like oh my god this this is it and i i joke sometimes that i learned my path at 12 and i've been been procrastinating on it ever since <laughs> and it's pretty darn accurate to to come to yoga and meditation, to come to that witness consciousness that um, he so beautifully transmits in that book. The book is really a a transmittal of that which we all are of wholeness and and of source, and and then to separate from it and forget about it. So that's been the story of my yoga practice since I was 12. So I might practice for years. I might be very devoted. I might go to class a lot. I might have a morning practice that is an hour long, Or I might leave it for years. Mm -hmm. And I recently left it for a long time because of an injury. I've been struggling with a back and hip and shoulder, like a whole body thing for about six years. And it comes and goes. And it's been really a pain in the Back lately. Mm. And so I was doing um, other training. But what's so interesting to my little black and white mind is that just because I'm doing other training doesn't mean I can't come out here first thing in the morning and do some pranayama mm. or do some, you know, do some very gentle asana or any of the other eight limbs. And it, and I never give up my meditation practice for very long, but I do that as well. Um, so that that remained pretty strong. But lately I just came back to the mat because we went to this yoga class in Bali that just blew us away. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I come out first thing in the morning, I turn on some good music, and um, I roll out the mat, and I'm like, oh, I remember this. This is good. And I've been going back to class, and sometimes it's making my back flare up, and sometimes it's not. And Yeah. But for me the body is the way in to God.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, it seems like embodiment is such a big part of your life and your message and the way that you help other people
1: get there. Yeah, I feel like it's like the, it's like the juice, it's just like so juicy. And oh my God, wow, we get to have a body. And I remember, I think, I don't know if I've told you the story, but I had an acquaintance once who, Talk to the dead. Whether she did this or not, I don't know, but she told me a story that has stuck with me forever. And it was that the dead always say, Oh, I just wish I could have my body back for one moment. Oh, wow. I wish I could hug my person, my beloved, my child. I wish I could smell, I wish I could touch. And I try to remember that every day because, you know, as my body is aging and my knees have become the knees of elephants. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, sometimes I'm like, I spend too much of my time wanting the body that I had when I was young mm-hmm. and not enough enjoying um, the body that I, the fact that I have a body. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> well, and it seems to me too that um, with your work, especially as you have shifted to savor and serve, and I was looking at your site before we talked and I saw this little um, line that you have on there, self-love plus world love will make you whole. Um, I love that. I love how you put that together so clearly. Um, I'm wondering how this embodiment piece comes together with the world love piece in making people and the world whole.
1: Oh, gosh. I don't know if it's my is like a fantasy and it makes a better Twitter line than reality. <laughs> but my hope is that when we really practice self-compassion, we do, it makes it easier to connect and get out, actually, maybe paradoxically, get out of our own envelope of flesh and our own head and our own concerns and connect to other people and take action on their behalf in ways that are sustainable and passionate and fun for us. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't believe that sometimes service shouldn't be scary or hard um, because, It is. I mean, to leave our own little comfort zone, whatever that looks like for each of us, is always difficult and scary. Right. But there's part of what I'm trying to counter and maybe just try to seduce people or create a new story of service is it's not your mother's service where it was all about depleting yourself or burning out. You know, obviously, that's not a good idea. Yeah. So it's somewhere in there, and I was rereading a little bit of No Time to Lose, which is Pema Chodron's um, text or interpretation commentary on the text of, um, of course, now I can't remember the original Buddhist text. Oh, there you go. There's my 51-year-old mind. <laughs> anyway, but I happened to open it on my Kindle when I was in Bali, and I opened it right to the section about make, give blessings, give offerings and blessings. Mm-hmm. And you just make a habit of offering all the good that comes to you to to specific people or to the, all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. And I was so glad I read that in Bali because, you know, mm. here Bob and I are having this really stunning time, but we know that the rest, most of the world, is not having that time, and most people in Bali could not afford to. And we weren't having like you know the Four Seasons vacation at all. But mm-hmm. you know, most people in Bali, the, the the wealthy middle, the wealthy lower class, live on one hundred fifty dollars a month, American. Mm. And and there are wealthy people, and you know there is it is a caste society, but the majority of people are 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 poor, and there mm-hmm. is definitely some some real poverty there. And you know, there's been hunger and um, you know death by malnutrition in, in this lat in the last 50 years so yeah so just to be able to make those offerings as we were having these beautiful experiences was really nice mm-hmm. so I don't know if that answers your question yeah it does I was thinking somewhere of- in there
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about a time um, in my own life when I was doing a lot of kind of on the street activist work and I just totally burnt out I wasn't connected with my body and I feel like the piece that you're talking about to bring it in and kind of think about what are the ways that I can do this that are sustainable are what make that work really kind of work because then it's not just a few people who are there for like two years and then they're gone and you can create like a bigger group yeah, of, that's kind
1: of Yeah, that's the, that's the grounding idea behind it. And honestly, it, with Savor and Sur, I thought it was going to be one of those projects like the year of living biblically. And I would write about it. And within a few months, I realized this is just a very simple idea that I want to live Mm -hmm. and return to and model and weave into everything I do, Mm -hmm. um, which is how can we, how can it not be all about us, which is certainly, we see a lot of that, but how can it not be what you just said, the burnout model?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, finding that in between.
1: Yeah. And how can we talk about it? So that people even consider it because I think people are scared of service. I spoke at a conference briefly about savor and serve last year and people were just like it was so nice of them to even hear the idea that you could marry the two together. I had them put Mm. one hand out and, and think about things they savored and kind of name them in the room and then I had them put the other hand out and think about things they wanted to change wanted to serve or were serving and then bring the two hands up over their head and bring them together hmm. and feel them together and then bring them down in front of their hearts. Oh, uh, yeah. I like They're, that. Yeah, it was really, it was powerful for people to do. And I was like, okay, that, that's pretty simple. <laughs> that's pretty simple. Maybe we can make, make a little bit more of that so in the world.
0: Right. Yeah, just putting the idea out there feels mm-hmm. like it's pretty
1: revolutionary. I don't know, but it's better than not putting it out there. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Well, one thing that you said that I really like about your work um, is how you just, you keep living it and letting it unfold through the course of your life and then sharing those new pieces along the way. Um, One thing I was thinking about in preparing for our conversation is your perspective on um, self-care as really a founding member of uh, having that conversation and what message your most happy people have received since the woman's comfort book came out.
1: Can you ask me that last part again? I didn't quite hear it. Yeah.
0: So in t- since the woman's comfort book came mm-hmm. out, what message are you happy that people have like that has landed with people about self-care?
1: Two consider that self-care isn't what you do it's not buying the fancy bath salts it's not getting your nails done it's not even going on a retreat but it's how it brings you home to yourself mm. so i think when i started talking about self-care in 1992 you know it sat, it, it felt wonderful and revolutionary but it also felt a little kind of girly or prescriptive. Mm -hmm. And I love that people have gotten the message from me or from other people, which no, it's like, how do I, how do I live from my center? What are the combinations of things that I do of ways that I be of ways that I center in my body that help me be in that centered and hopefully eventually witness place. And, and then I think the other part that I'm Maybe I'm only proud of this because I'm starting to learn it myself finally, <laughs> <laughs> which is that pleasure is a really good teacher. And that's one thing I learned in Bali. You know, I'm very Calvinistic. I'm very driven. I'm very ambitious. I'm very much the son my father never had. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning, in, again, in this this decade of my 50s to say, wait, you know, that that's not where my 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 happiness or my personal growth lies it's actually in pleasure which i have to say is kind of scary considering that i have just had that whole rant about service because it's like wait where's the am i going to serve if i'm all wrapped up in pleasure or am i going to become this narcissistic ah but right. i i think that that's not what's going to happen but i hope that's a message women have gotten about self-care that so pleasure is a good teacher Hmm. and how do you let pleasure teach you well, I think you know. I I wrote in my little Bali journal that to here, let me read it to you. Let me see if I can find it real quick. It's right here in front of me. Um, it's, it's not. I didn't write very much, but I went to this all day spa day. Mm. And I'd never done anything like that. It's very inexpensive in Bali. It was a hundred dollars for a whole day. Mm. And so you know, right there, the Calvinistic part of me is happy because that's not <laughs> expensive, right? Right. Um, and I was like, but I knew that I could get into this place where I was uptight and I'm not going to let go. And so I wrote Bali all day spa day. How shall I mush myself? <laughs> and then I thought about it and I wrote with love. Mm. So I think pleasure teaches us um, to soften, to savor, to remember that we are lucky <laughs> And lucky not in that earnest, I need to be grateful way, but like, wow, I have a scented candle and lilacs on my desk right now. Wow, look at that. And then we can use that to connect, to, to source and to others. And I think pleasure teaches us to, to almost like break open because it's so, like you can't do anything with it, but take it in and let it go. Right. You can't hold on to it. It's it's the fleeting moment right there. Mhm. Um and maybe it yeah, I don't know. What do you think?
0: Well, it feels like it it comes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of the embodiment and being present for the pleasure because you know you it is just for that moment. Um and I think that in that embodiment you get to practice it and see, like, oh, I didn't die, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, experienced, I experienced pleasure, and it was okay, no one else died either, um, you know, it was okay if I didn't, and I was thinking about my own parents who, when I was growing up, and, you know, even now, just would work all day, every single day, mm. and it was, like, sitting down for even 15 minutes at the end of the day was sort of, like, an illicit pleasure, <laughs> you know? That's- And so being able to expand my definition of pleasure of more than like five minutes that I give myself in between work projects has been huge.
1: Yes, I remember a story a student told me once years ago that she was sitting at the kitchen table in the middle of the day having a cup of tea and her baby was asleep and her mom came in the back door. Mom lived nearby and her mother said, what are you doing sitting down in the middle of the day? Mm. And so is it that we teach ourselves to nap? Is it that we, and I I think here's another piece of pleasure as a teacher, is learning to calm the body and calm the brain and calm the part of us that is so afraid we're going to be eaten at any moment, Right. you know, and pleasure goes, oh, no, I'm safe. It's okay. And it's okay to be safe. It's okay to be safe. Yes, those 300 girls in Nigeria are not safe, and I can send them the beauty of my lilacs and the beauty of my yoga practice last night, Mm -hmm. but I can't actually go save them. And so being here and not enjoying my life is not going to help them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yoga really supports us in that, like having some actual tools for how to connect and send that love. It, mm-hmm. all, it all feels kind of reciprocal to me.
1: I think it is.
0: Yeah. Mm. Thanks so much for this conversation. It's been really good. Oh, good. Yeah.
1: It was a little silly, but hopefully <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's unusual. but That's a good that's, place to be. <laughs> that, that would be a lie, everybody. <laughs> is there anything
0: else you can think of um, kind of related to what we've been talking about that you want to add in there
1: real quick? You know, I I have felt guilty recently that I've been having such a hard, hard time aging, mm-hmm. because because it seems like not a feminist body loving thing to have trouble with, mm-hmm. and and so I guess the thought that I want to leave everyone with is body acceptance and yoga are not another prison to put ourselves in. Oh now I must accept my body. Yeah. I must love my body. It you know, it's 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 a relationship that we're trying to have and it's steps of freedom and we get over being triggered about something and something else may trigger us. And so right now it's the veins on my hand and my underwear. Right. <laughs> but you know, that's okay. It's no longer the boys in the in the uh, schoolyard. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, it's not a once-or-done or, or black-and-white thing, which is what I like to make everything. <laughs> yeah,
1: we all do. It makes us feel safe. Yeah, it's true. So, thank you for that.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here, Jen. I really appreciate it. We will link up all of your goodness for people to connect with you um, and get to know your work even more if they don't already. I really appreciate you being here.
1: Oh, no, my pleasure. It's a, it's always a joy to talk to you.
0: Yeah, you too. Okay, so thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you next time.